Hey, thank you so much for joining us today, Sunday morning worship online at the Bridge Church. Glad you've joined us. It is great to see you today. Well, actually, it's not great to see you because I can't see you. You can see me, but I can't see you. But thank you so much for joining us. You know, I got to tell you, in this unusual season, the most difficult part for Anne and for myself is the fact that we can't see you guys face to face. We can't talk with you and shake your hands and give you a big hug the way we normally would on Sunday morning. But please know our prayers are with you. You are in our hearts. We miss you guys so much, and we can't wait for life to get back to normal. People are saying this is the new norm. Not for me, it's not. This is an interruption in my life, but before long, things will get back normal but we love you guys we miss you you know one good thing that's coming out of this a lot of you are used to sitting way up high in the back in the cheap what i call the cheap seats and now you're getting a front row seat so when we come back to meeting again you're not going to want to sit up on the the upper high seat you're going to want to sit down front close to me so this is probably a good thing in this season but you know today i want to begin a series two maybe three weeks and i want to talk about extraordinary that's the theme extraordinary you know there's a word extraordinary that they pronounce extraordinary but i want to take the compound word and i want to break it up just a little bit extraordinary and i want to begin with a question today in this unusual season what kind of people would god have us be Remember back about 20 years ago or so, there was a kind of a phrase that was going around for a while. It became popular. People were making jewelry and bracelets and different things out of it. It was WWJD. What would Jesus do? That was real popular for a while. Uh, In this unusual season, ask yourself the question, if Jesus were living in my house today, what would Jesus do? In this unusual season, what kind of people would God have us be? You know, it's a funny little thought. Years ago, somebody shared this with me, and it kind of stuck through the years. Statistics show that most people are average. We're just ordinary, just another face in the crowd. Sometimes we feel like we're lost in the crowd. But the reality is, God doesn't want us to live ordinary lives. God wants us to live extraordinary lives and be extraordinary people. Truth is, crowds are following somebody. They're following someone's voice. And today the question I want to ask you is, whose voice are you listening to? Who are you following what if god asks us me you what if god asks us to be extraordinary people in this season and in every season of life what if god asks us to be extraordinary you know that word extraordinary in the dictionary means to be beyond what is usual what is ordinary what is regular or what is established around us It also means to be exceptional in character, in the amount of what we are, to the extent of what we are, to become noteworthy and to become remarkable. 
You'll notice on the graphic behind me, a lot of people are just faces in the crowd. But God has called us to stand out in this season, in every season of life, and be extraordinary people. You know, so many of us don't want to make waves. Yet God is looking for people who will set the pace for society, who will live extraordinary lives. Not proud people, not arrogant people, not self-reliant people, not pharisaical people looking down on others, but people who are not satisfied following the negative, hopeless narrative of society around us. People who will rise above the ordinary and become extraordinary. I believe that's the kind of people God wants us to be. You know, Jesus always stood out from the crowd. It's because he saw things from God's perspective. He was the Word of God. He was the living Word. He lived the Word of God. And as a result, he was an extraordinary person. He was God in the flesh. And he showed us how we can live extraordinary lives. You know, the more we become like Jesus the more we will stand out from the crowd and be seen as extraordinary. You know, when I was a kid, probably 10 or 12 years old, I went to visit my grandfather. And almost every day except Sunday, we got up early in the morning and went fishing. We'd come home in the middle of the day and rest until it cooled off. We'd go fishing again in the evening, almost every day. And one year, it had been a particularly rainy year, and I went to visit my grandfather about this time of year, and it was still really muddy, and the roads getting around were still pretty sloppy, and a lot of the places where we fished were dirt roads. You had to travel down dirt roads to get to the ponds and the lakes and some of the rivers and, and the places where we fished. I'll never forget, one year we went to this very familiar spot. I could take you to it today if I was up in that part of the country. But we pulled down this dirt road off of the highway and, and started down to the place where we always fished. And going down this road, it was a dirt road and it was really muddy and we were starting to slide around. But there had been some traffic in and out of that road, that dirt road, that muddy road, and they had dug ruts in the road. All of us know what it is to be on some kind of road that's rutted. You even see it on front, some of our freeways today where heavy trucks travel in the, the right lanes, the slower lanes. There, there are ruts in the road. But these were deep ruts. And I noticed as we went along, we were not only slipping and sliding in the mud, but every now and then the car would bottom out because the tires were in ruts in the tracks of other vehicles. And when we hit those really deep ruts, the bottom of the car would hit the ground. And then we hit a place that made us bottom out, and we got stuck. I'll never forget sitting there, my grandpa stomping on that gas and those tires just spinning and we're not going anywhere. And finally he looks at me and says, Son, would you get out and try to push on the car and see if we can get off this spot, get out of these ruts and move forward? And I said, Sure, Grandpa. And I jumped out of the car, went to the back, and, you know, I... I was young, I didn't really realize it at the time, but most cars back then and even today, you know, if, if the drivetrain goes to the rear wheels, usually it's just really one wheel that gets the traction. 
And I happened to be on that side of the car, and I started pushing on the car, and I said, okay, Grandpa, step on the gas. And when he stomped on the gas, it just threw mud all over me. And from about here down, I was just covered with water and mud. Soaked me. And it was, of course, a, a bit of a funny moment, and we got a good laugh out of it. But it made me realize something that I want to bring forward to today. Sometimes in life, we suffer because of ruts. The truth of the matter is, when we accept truth in our minds and we establish something as truth, it begins to create ruts in our mind. You see, your mind has ruts that are dug in it. It has tracks that are dug in it where we've accepted truths and it causes us to believe a certain way and we live a certain way because of what's in our mind. When a situation arises, we're already trained to go a certain way because of these mental ruts and this thinking process that's established in our minds. It may be right. It may be wrong. It may agree with God's word. It may not. But yet our whole lives are shaped by the ruts that have been dug by the traffic in our minds. And just like those dirt roads that became muddy and deep and rutted to the point where we couldn't move forward, sometimes we have trouble moving forward in life because there are ruts in our minds that create wrong pathways in our lives. It is so absolutely true. But in order to become extraordinary people, we're going to have to change those ruts. It's going to take a little bit of work. You know, Romans 12.1 tells us, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the way and the thinking of the world create the ruts in your mind by which you live and by which you think. Don't let your thinking process, don't let your lifestyles be shaped by the thinking of the world. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed, be renovated, be changed by renewing your mind, by changing your thought patterns and creating new ruts that agree with the word of God. If we can do that, we can become extraordinary people. So one of the questions you're asking right now is, okay, so what, what really keeps us from being extraordinary? I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse number 3. Follow with me. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, strongholds in the original writings really simply means something that's fortified. It's like the enemy's castle. What he's saying is we can actually have the enemy build his castle in our minds and it keeps us from moving forward because we can't get past the ruts he's created, the stronghold that he's built there. Next verse, verse 5 says, casting down imaginations. Now, put this together because there's a comma at the end of verse 4 which goes right into verse 5. It says that we need to pull down those strongholds and then he tells us what the strongholds are. Verse 5. He says, cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge 
of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, now pause here for just a moment. He says those strongholds are arguments. In the original writings, it really talks about carnal, logical ruts that are dug in our minds. Literally, that's what it's talking about. When it says, pull down arguments, it means logic that people have taught you, logic that you've learned that disagrees with the Word of God, and yet it builds this stronghold, this monumental rock that's in your pathway that you can't get past because the enemy has built his roadblock, his stronghold, right in between your ears. You know, sometimes things we've been taught growing up are wrong. Sometimes things get passed down. Sometimes we accept things we shouldn't accept. Sometimes people around us, sometimes our spouses tell us things that aren't necessarily true, that aren't necessarily right. And if you believe what other people say and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, eventually it becomes a rut that creates a roadblock, a stronghold of the enemy. In verse number 6, Paul goes on to say, we need to be ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When you know the right way to go, you need to punish that disobedience and change it and get rid of those ruts so you can move forward and let God rewrite your thinking with His Word. It's the reason we're not always extraordinary people is because we don't think as God thinks. We don't think as Jesus thought when He walked the earth. And we wind up just being a face in the crowd rather than being that extraordinary person who lives above all the fray that's going on around us. God has called us to live extraordinary lives. But you know, there are natural, carnal battles that have to be fought. Let me, let me just illustrate this to you, because this is what Paul's talking about. He says, there are natural battles out there. For example, let me just give you one quick example. Let's say in your home somewhere, fire breaks out. Something happens and all of a sudden something catches on fire and it starts as a very small thing. What are you going to do? Well, some people say, well, I'm going to pray. Can I just tell you something? While you're praying, you might want to go get a water hose or a fire extinguisher and get in there and turn the water on or turn the extinguisher on and put the flame out because it's a natural battle. I mean, you might stand there and pray for hours and your house just might burn down because that is a physical, natural, carnal battle. You don't want to use the wrong weapons. Some people say, well, I just believe God to put the fire out. Can I tell you something? That's a natural carnal battle. You need to fight a natural carnal war against it using the proper tools. But let's take one step beyond that. Not only are there natural carnal battles that have to be fought, there are also battles in life that my senses don't really understand. They're, they're spiritual battles. It's beyond the natural realm of things. And if my only weapons in spiritual battles are my own carnal natural abilities and schemes, then I'm finding a carnal battle against a spiritual opponent with natural weapons, and I'm probably going to lose that battle. Paul said if you're fighting spiritual battles, you need spiritual weapons. And God has given us spiritual weapons to fight 
those spiritual battles. So how do I pull down these strongholds? How do I get rid of these ruts? How do I change my thinking and establish God's thinking so I can fight spiritual battles? Well, I want to talk to you about it, and I want to give you five thoughts out of the life of Gideon. We're going to look at Judges chapter number 6. We're going to get at verse 1. We're going to skip a, a little bit around through the chapter. But Judges chapter 6, let's look at the life of Gideon. Let me give you five thoughts real quickly. Number one, look at verse 1. I'm going to set, set up the story for you. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Now notice this. They were so oppressed by the enemies, they left home, they went to the hills and the mountains, and they dug caves in which to hide. Those are pretty difficult, desperate times. Read on verse number 3. And so it was, when Israel had sown, sown their crops, the Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Difficult times. We, we think we're in difficult times right now. This is nothing compared to what Israel was going through at the time. It was so difficult that they're hiding in caves and the enemy without number comes swarming in. Every time they produce food, every time they produce anything with their livestock, anytime something good pops up, the enemy comes in and destroys the blessings that God has given them. That's what you call difficult times. But what do you do in difficult seasons? Scripture tells us here at the beginning of this chapter, this all happened because they forsook God. They turned away from God. They rejected Him. They began to build idols and worship other gods, so God removed His hand of protection, and the enemy began to torment them. Some of us are tormented because we've got ruts in our minds that are not right, that don't line up with the Word of God, and any time unusual circumstances come along, those ruts cause us to run to fear and torment, and we're afraid that the worst is about to happen to us. That is not from God. It's from the enemy of your soul. So, number one, the first step in breaking down and tearing down strongholds is to be honest about your situation. Israel was in this mess because they weren't walking with God. They weren't following God. They hadn't established their thinking based on God's word. They were chasing other gods. Number one, be honest about your situation. You know, whenever I get into a difficult time, I always sit down and ask myself a simple question. 
how did I get here? How did I get here? And then I try to find honest answers. How did I get here? Was it my fault? Which part of it is my fault? Was it not my fault? Well, what really caused this situation? The most important thing you can do when challenges come and you're struggling with strongholds is to be honest. How did I get here? And when you get real honest, you'll tend to find out, I've probably got some wrong ruts that have directed my pathway. That's not always the case, but oftentimes it is. It's interesting. If you go into a a 12-step program, the first thing they do is they make you deal with reality. Stop lying about the past. Stop blaming it on other people. Ask yourself the question, how did I get here? Stop living in denial. How did I get here? And once you sort it out and you face the truth and take your responsibility, then you're ready to move forward. Number two, look at verse number 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now here's this young man, Gideon, who's threshing wheat in the winepress, just trying to get a little bit of food for his family, just to create a little bit of something good because he's afraid of the enemy. His mind is telling him, if I expose this, the enemy's going to take it away. So I've got to do it in secret and in hiding. Look at the next verse, verse 11, or verse, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You see, Gideon literally means warrior. It's interesting. Oh, you mighty man of valor is what the angel called him. Look at verse 13. Gideon said to the angel, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the Midianites, the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? You see, what the angel or what the Lord is literally saying to Gideon here is, look, you need to change your thinking because if your thinking changes and if your heart changes and your lifestyle changes and what you're doing changes, as that changes, you will go out and you will defeat the enemy. But you've got to break down this stronghold and you have got to change. number, Number two, the second thing I want you to notice here is we need to be able to believe God's going to help us. A lot of us know we've got ruts. A lot of us know our thinking does not line up with the Word of God. But we think, well, this is just too big of a thing. I don't know how to get beyond this. Can I tell you something? When God brings these things to the surface and you realize they're there and you start taking ownership of it, the next thing that's going to happen is God's going to show up and He'll say, I'm going to help you through this. 
You see, Gideon had an amazing encounter with the angel of the Lord. Some believe it might have been Jesus in the Old Testament. Can I tell you something? Right now, some of you are having a moment with God and all of this stuff starting to come up and you're realizing, yep, it's there. I have to make a decision, but this is overwhelming. Don't be overwhelmed. God will help you with this process. He absolutely will. Next verse, verse 15 says, So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You see, Gideon looked around and said, Man, why are you calling me a great warrior? Why are you calling me a valiant man? Look at this. Man, I'm hiding from the enemy. I'm, I'm trying to get some food. I'm, I'm threshing wheat in the wine press. I'm living life upside down. I'm living in so much fear. I'm hiding in caves. Why do you call me a man of valor? And the angel says, because the Lord is with you, and if you will rise up as one man, you can defeat the enemy who is without number. Let me tell you something. God is with you today. God is with you. I'm preaching this message to you just like you're sitting in this room with me. And right now, the Spirit of God is coming into your home. And you're realizing realizing right now, in the middle of these unusual times, God is calling us to rise up and be extraordinary people. And it starts right now when I realize what's going on in my mind doesn't line up with the Word of God. I'm going to realign things, and I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to defeat the enemies that are challenging me and my family and my home today. We can be extraordinary people. God has called us to that kind of life. But you know, there are always a thousand excuses why I can't win. We talked about the two battles, the carnal battle. Some of us are looking around right now saying, I can't win this battle. But God is with you. Well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, but God is with you. Oh, oh but I'm weak and, and my family and, uh, but God is here to change everything. And if we can accept that today, it will begin to set us on a brand new course for our lives. God will help us in this new season. God will help you. N- number three, look at verse number 25. Now, it came to pass the same night, and there's some other things that happened there. We don't have time to get into it right now, but verse 25. Now, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and the second bull of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Number three. In order to pull down strongholds, we have to identify those strongholds. We read earlier in verse 1, it says that Israel was in this mess because they'd forsaken God. And now God says to Gideon, okay, you want to be a winner? You want to defeat the enemy? Are you tired of living in this bondage? Are you ready to run the enemy out of your nation? Are you ready to change the whole course of your nation and and change the course of your life? Are you ready for this? You need to identify the strongholds. And God takes him to his father's house. Now, 
It was common. Families stayed close together. There was property for each family. Each clan had its, its, its property and its stake, so on and so forth. But here's the point. Israel had accepted idolatry, and God said, go to your father's house. Go to the head of the household. Go to where this all came from. Go to where all this thinking was passed on to you. And I want you to take two young bulls. Take one bull, the first bull, and tear down the altar of Baal that's been built. And then right next to it, there's this Asherah. It was a, like a, to, we would consider it a totem pole. It was a female god deity that had been built, a wooden pole that was constructed to remember this female goddess. And God said, go ahead and tear down the altar of Baal and tear down that false female goddess. Get it out of the way. You know, sometimes we've got wrong thinking. Sometimes we've got ruts that have been passed on to us through family members. Sometimes people around us have shaped our thinking, and they're not godly thoughts and not godly people, not godly thinking. Sometimes religion even gives us ungodly thoughts, thoughts that don't line up with the Word of God. And as a result, we take a path of life that's created by our thinking that is wrong thinking, and it's a wrong path. And it all runs together. And it ends in a place of destruction and bondage. But not only has God come to set you free, you have got to identify the stronghold and start dealing with it right where it is. Why do we struggle so much when it comes to identifying strongholds? When we look at the circumstances of our lives and we say, well, how did I get here? Why is it so difficult sometimes for us to identify the enemy's strongholds? I think sometimes it's apathy. Yeah, it's been this way forever. It is what it is. You know, can I, can I just take a little bit of a rabbit trail for a moment here? You know, one of the things that's happened in our church world, and it, it's blame it on guys like me. You know, we've kind of reached the place where we, you know, we want to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But in 2 Timothy you know, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, you know, sometimes the Word of God brings correction. And I know a lot of us in our pulpits in America, we're afraid to confront certain things because we don't want to offend people. I'm not here to offend you today, but I'm here to identify some thinking that's wrong and help you get it corrected so that your path of life can change and you can live an extraordinary life seeing all of God's blessings. But you've got to identify those strongholds and admit these Thoughts don't belong here. These, these ruts don't belong here. I shouldn't be thinking this way. God's way, word says I should think this way, but yet I think this way. Don't discard the word of God. Make up your mind that I'm going to identify these strongholds. I'm going to admit they're there, and I'm going to quit being apathetic about this. I want my life to change. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. As long as you've got the wrong ruts, you're going to have the wrong road, which produces the wrong results in your life. God doesn't want you to live in apathy. Rise up and identify those strongholds. Admit that they are there. You know, sometimes we struggle with strongholds because of compromise. We've accepted things. Started way back there. 
We've let it stay there and stay there and stay there. And we don't want people to know about our compromise. And we've told ourselves, well, this is okay when we know that God's word says it's not okay. This is a season when we need to say no more compromise. I'm going to get things straightened out. I'm going to let God create new patterns of thinking in my life. And I'm going to discard the things that don't belong here. Let's stop living compromised lives. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's generational. You know, the Old Testament talks about generational curses. It's not talking about devils that God passes on from generation to generation. That's not it at all. God doesn't say, I'm going to punish you from generation to generation. God says, you live this lifestyle, you pass it on to your children, and they'll wind up living in the same bondage you live in from generation to generation. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been pastoring a lot of years. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody comes to a time in their life, in their adult life. It might be late 20s, early 30s. Some a little earlier, some a little later. But sooner or later, you start recognizing that your family wasn't perfect. There, there was some dysfunction back there. There were some things that should have been done differently. They didn't exactly follow God's pathway. And we come to a point in life where we have to choose. Am I going to stay in that pathway because mom and dad did? Or am I going to go in a different pathway? Am I tired of living limited life? Or am I going to live an extraordinary life? Am I going to be a face in the crowd? Or am I going to see all of God's blessing? There comes a point in time where you've got to walk away and say, I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to follow the clan any longer. For some of you, it's friends. Some of you have got friends that they dictate the course of your life. It's time to separate and say, no, I'm not going that pathway any longer. It doesn't bring blessing my way. We have to identify. Identify those strongholds and admit that they're there. Sometimes it's a seared conscience. Sometimes we've just rejected God knocking on our heart and God's tried to show us from his word. And some of us, there are certain verses in the Bible we don't even want to read anymore because we know what it says and we've seared our conscience. It's like, just leave me alone. I'll live with these wrong ruts and I'll live in defeat. Friend, God loves you too much to leave you in defeat. God wants to raise you up that you can live an extraordinary life and be separated from the crowd and be seen as one who stands above it all and seen as one that God blesses in every situation of life. That's the life God has for you. But you have to. You have have to identify the strongholds and admit that they're there. Then you can begin to deal with those strongholds. Number four from this same verse of Scripture, verse number 25, God told him, take, take two bulls, the first bull, use it to tear down the strongholds that are built there. Tear down the altar of Baal, Tear down that female goddess, rip them down, destroy them. Get rid of them. Number four, if we're going to overcome strongholds, we've got to fight God's way. Fight God's kind of fight. It's interesting, in verse 25, God told him, you've you got to cast them down. You've got to tear them down. You've got to break them down. You've got to demolish those altars and get them out of there. Think about that. 
Go into your dad's house, all of your clan. They've got these altars, these things set up. You've got to go in there and rip them down and make up your mind. I'm not going to be dominated by those gods, those strongholds, that way of thinking anymore. You've got to go in there and fight and literally fight and rip them down. They were so big, he couldn't do it in his own strength. He had to have a bull and tie, it to, tie the bull to those altars and rip them down. They were so large. But God said, sometimes you've got to fight if you want to win battles. Sometimes, if you want a way of life you've never had, you've got to do some things you've never, ever done before. You know, these verses, if you go back to what we read from 2 Corinthians 10 earlier, casting down imaginations, casting down these strongholds of the enemy like Gideon did. We've got to realize sometimes it takes a spiritual violence and an attitude of war in order to defeat the enemy. And some of us are, yeah, devil, you leave me alone. Sometimes you've got to get tired of the enemy and get angry at him and put him in his place because if we're not willing to fight for our future, no one else can fight for us. God cannot win your battle alone. He needs you to wrap your heart and your faith around the victory that lies ahead. And if we will fight the fight of faith, God will fight the battles for us that we cannot fight in our own strength. It's interesting. I was reading this morning. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. I won't have you turn there, but you might read it later. It talks about the armor of God. And there, there are two parts of the armor of God I want to just point out to you real quickly. First part is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is something we put on so that we think as God thinks. We think like we're saved. We think like we've been released from bondage and we now are the children of God and we now can live as the children of God and we are now free to think as God thinks. That's what the helmet of salvation is about. The reason we get these ruts is because we don't wear the, hel the helmet of salvation and we allow the enemy to cause us to think in other ways and have other thoughts. We live ordinary, limited lives instead of being extraordinary because we don't wear the helmet of salvation. And then the other part of the armor is the sword of the Spirit. When you go to battle, you don't just wear defensive armor. You also take offensive weapons. He said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Think like a child of God. Think according to the Word of God, and then take the Word of God, and when other things come along, don't accept them, don't let them dig ruts in your mind, fight them, destroy them, refuse to give them a place in your life, tear down those altars that are there, don't let the enemy make any new altars, but not only am I going to think as the Word of God tells me I can think, if anything else arises, I'm going to slash it and slide it, slice it, I'm going to knock it down, I'm going to kill it and destroy it, because this battle is a spiritual war, so I'm going to fight a spiritual fight. I'm going to get angry with the enemy, and I'm not going to let him torment me any longer. God has called us to be extraordinary people living extraordinary lives. Well, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for some of us to get angry at the enemy because we believed his lives. We've let him put ruts in our minds. And we've allowed him to create these ruts that set the boundaries for our lives. Maybe it's time.
maybe it's time today for us to make up our minds. I'm going to fight God's way. And then number five, last thought. Verses 26 and 27. The Lord went on and said, remember there were two bulls. The first bull is to pull down the altars of the enemy. Verse 26, he says, now build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock. Notice the word rock. If you look in the original writings where it says rock, it literally comes from the word that means strongholds. Now let's read this verse again. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold. Where the enemy's altar was that you just tore down, build an altar to God on top of that stronghold. Where the place is, where the stronghold once existed, replace it with the altar of God. It goes on to say, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, the way that God tells you to, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you have cut down. Now, let's pause here a moment. Verse 26. Number five, the last thing. Once we've identified the strongholds and decide to start ripping them down, you need to replace them with something. Once you start leveling the road of your mind, the ruts in your mind, and you start smoothing it over, and you start doing the work to, to dig it all up and get it all corrected, you've got to replace it with the right ruts. And if you do that, you'll replace it with the Word of God. He said, take one bull, tear it down, take another bull, and then sacrifice that bull and put it on the altar. Did you ever stop to think how much work it would take to cut a bull into pieces? I mean, first just to kill it, just to get it there and kill it, and then to cut it in pieces and lay it on an altar that you built. That's work. Some of us as Christians, we, eh, we want an easy way out. We want an easy path. I want to live the high life. I want to live all of God's blessings. Well, are you willing to walk God's path and do it God's way? It takes a little bit of work to build an altar. It takes some time spent with God. It takes making adjustments in our lives. God said, you used to worship this, and you let him dig all these ruts in your mind. Now that you've got the ruts fixed and you've got the enemy out of the way, build an altar with me and keep my word at the top of your life so it rules everything that happens. Let me dig new ways of thinking based on my word in your life. Build altars in the very spot where the strongholds of the enemy used to be. So the enemy does not come back and redig those ruts. In verse 27, So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to do, to, do, to, to him. He did as the Lord said, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. You know, sometimes we're so quick to look at other people's lives, point out their strongholds. 
You know, I think Gideon was smart enough to realize, you know what, if this is what God wants me to do, if I've got to pull down the strongholds, I'm not going to do it in broad daylight and fight my family and tell them they're wrong here and they're wrong there and you've done this. And He went by night when he didn't have to deal with anybody else to just obey God. You know what? Sometimes we get angry at family for what they've passed on to us. The best thing you can do is start rebuilding your life and be a witness to them of the power of God and what he can do. Sometimes people want to go back and correct everybody else first. Don't correct everybody else first. Start with yourself and let God work. And when people see the change in your life, they're going to want to know, how did you do this? Number five, build an altar of God on top of the old strongholds and let God create a brand new way of life. If I can think as God thinks, then I can live the life that God has promised in His Word. Think about that. If I can think as God thinks, then I can live the life God has promised in His Word. In closing, if anyone should have peace in this season, it should be us. If anyone should have hope in this season, it should be us. If anyone should have faith in this season, it should be us. If anyone should overcome fear in this season, it should be us. If anyone should believe that we're going to be okay and this season's going to end, it should be us. If anyone should be able to identify the lies of the enemy and replace them with the truth, it should be us. If anyone should be able to spread hope and encouragement to others around us, it should be us. God's called us to be extraordinary people living extraordinary lives. Be honest about your situation. Believe God will help you. Identify the strongholds in your mind, in your life. Fight God's way. Cast them down. Demolish them with violence. Then build an altar of God and replace the stronghold with God's word. Right now, the Spirit of God is speaking to you about some, something or some things. I don't want us to discard this moment. I know you're right there in your own home. There may be other distractions with family and so forth. Please, let me pray for you. Let's take this moment to God and let it be an encounter with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that right now you're speaking to every life, every person who's hearing this. This is not just a moment where we've heard a nice little thought for the day. This is a moment when we encounter you face to face. Father, I pray right now that whatever's going on in every individual's heart, you'll meet us right where we are. Begin to affirm and confirm the pathway that's ahead of us, the pathway that you have for us. Father, I believe for better days. I believe for better things. I believe for new things. I'm believing for blessings. I'm looking for you to turn this season that's meant for evil into something good in our lives. So, Father, change our thinking. Help us to think as you think, according to your word, and replace the strongholds of the enemy with the truth of your word. 
burn this into our hearts. Meet us right where we are. Help us to move forward. In Jesus' name. Maybe you've listened to this and maybe you're not in relationship with God. You know, God loves you so much, He put His own Son on a cross to change your whole life, to give you a brand new life, a new way of living with new results. But it all begins with Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? God loves you so much, He put His own Son on a cross to pay for your past, to give you that new life. He asked you to simply open your heart and accept Jesus as your Savior and choose Him to become the Lord of your life. Choose to follow God. Learn His ways. Let Him change you completely. Now and for eternity. I want to pray one more prayer, and I want you to wrap your heart around this prayer. Join with me right now. Father, I come to you, and I need you. I ask for your help. I ask you to forgive me. Take the old life away. Give me a brand new start. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I will learn your ways. I will follow you. And I will see a brand new life unfold. Thank you for loving me and receiving me. From this moment forward, you are my father and I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Praying that prayer is the most important prayer you can ever pray in in your entire life. But now need to follow through that's just the beginning of this journey we'd love to give you some information that'll help you if you'd reach out and contact us follow the instructions on your screen i promise you we'll get back to you and it will help you begin this new walk with god hey god bless everyone today i know i've preached a little bit longer than i normally would on these online sundays but this has been burning in my heart i'll finish the series later before we finish today i just want to share one other thing on the screen, there, there are different ways that you can give. And in this season, we're not begging for money. We're trusting God to bless us that we can give. But, but I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness. I know this is a challenging season for a lot of people. It's not my promise you're trusting. It's God's promise. God will take care of you. And every seed that we sow, everything that we give, God blesses back into our lives. And it becomes a blessing to others as well. You know, this week we had a food drive on Wednesday just for a couple of hours. And I was so thrilled to get to see a lot of you as you drove by and waved and rolled your window down and said hi from six feet one inches away. Uh, You know, I was so thrilled to see a lot of you. But, you know, we brought in like 2,100 pounds of food, and I I was so thrilled. One guy even stopped and and talked for a second. He said, you know, I own my own business. And he said, right now our business is down between 90 and 95%. He said, my business is almost gone right now. But he said, God's blessed me in the past, and I've I've been blessed. I've got some extra. And he said, I wanted to bring food today to bless somebody else because I know God's hand is still on me. It's going to be okay. He's going to bless me down the road. He's got right ruts in his brain. God is faithful. He will not fail you. So thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. The church rolls on. We continue to make a difference around the globe because of God and you and your faithfulness. So God bless you today. Have a great week.